So as you've heard, the theme for today is enjoying God forever. And we look forward to your word on that, uh, Pastor. And um, so a Bible reading now will be, I'll read from Galatians chapter 2, verses 16 to 21 from the New Living Translation. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I've already torn down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. This is Galatians 2, 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yes, we... Wonderful verse. And the New Living Translation says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So please respond with me as we um, confess our faith in him as the body of Christ, his church. Let's say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried, he descended into sin. He rose, rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Pastor, over to you. Thank you. <clears throat> One of the um, things that I learnt early on was that nobody sees anything the same. The idea of perspective is a really important one to me because. Wherever I was in my ministry, I always had congregations who wanted to disagree and have problems. And I discovered that if I could convince them that they didn't know everything and that everyone, when we worked together, provided something of a perspective of the problem, 
we were more likely to deal with it. Well, this morning, I want to simply present some of the message of what you heard in the Galatians reading just from one perspective only, just from one. And I wanted to be able to do this by, now, if it's going to work for me, it's on, is it? I'm pressing, I'm pressing. <laughs> there it is. And the whole idea, have you seen this? Julian Beaver is a chalk artist who does all this sort of thing on pavements. And it's a beautiful thing. You see this on football fields now, don't you? you know, they paint this sort of stuff on a flat surface. Well, when you look at it like that, it looks pretty spectacular, pretty amazing. But I'm going to have some troubles here, am I? There we are. All right. I don't know what I'm doing, but I've broken something here. But if you look at it from another perspective, it looks very ordinary. In order to help with this perspective this morning, I have to just talk a little bit about me. I was raised in a very poor family on a farm and I still don't know to this day who paid for me to go to Concordia College as a boarder. Huge amount. Back in those days, started in 1959 and I still to this day don't know who paid those thousands way back then to put me through college. And um, when I went to seminary, it was by the grace of God and probably the, the, the niceness of my lectures that allowed me to become a pastor. Because in many ways, um, I was not good pastor material. I was no good at Greek, no good at Hebrew, no good at German, no good at Latin, no good at Mandarin. Oh, no, we didn't have to do that one, but... <laughs> Honestly, really back in there, it was a seven-year course and it was all about languages. So whenever we studied the Bible, we had to do it in a language. Took a lot of the fun out of it, let me tell you. But I got out and when I got out, I was sent to Mount Isa. As I was told, I couldn't do a lot of damage that far away from everything. <laughs> and I thought, now I'm right. Now it's all good. Now I can get on with the job of being a pastor. And I discovered very, very quickly that I wasn't good enough. Because everybody, and you too, have a view of what a pastor is meant to be. Every one of you thinks a pastor should be this or that or something else. And I got there and suddenly a whole heap of people expected something different of me. So I want to tell you this morning what my greatest temptation was in my ministry and in my life. My greatest temptation was not to be me. Because me never seemed to be enough. Never seemed to be good enough. 
No matter what I did, when I, I preached, I had somebody afterwards say, Pastor, you can't say that in church. Whenever I admitted to a sin, to a temptation, to an issue, to a problem I had, to a doubt I had, I always had somebody saying, Pastor, you can't say that. Because if you're having doubts, if you sin, what hope is there for us? And then I found that I had to be more loving, more kind, more forgiving, more wiser, stronger, more faithful. When someone came to me and said, Pastor, don't you speak in tongues? No. Well, should we pray for you because you're certainly in trouble? Pastor, you, you said you have some fears. Oh dear, oh dear, haven't you heard the scriptures that says perfect love casts out fear? Don't you know that in the Bible it says that there is a fear not for every day of the year? Don't you know that Jesus said don't be anxious? I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, God has told me to tell you. One of the issues we face is simply being real, being ourselves. And, and I understand we can't be entirely ourselves. If you knew me exactly the way I am, you probably wouldn't like me that much. Because there is within me sin that is deep enough that can be judgmental and critical and harsh and angry and frustrated and I say things that I shouldn't say. I think things I shouldn't think. I do stuff I shouldn't do. And I still have those, what we used to call years ago, the besetting sins. That is those sins set in concrete that we seem to commit every day or regularly. No matter how many times we repent of them, we still say, we still do them. And every time I say to the Lord, Lord, I've done it again. I am so fed up that I keep doing it over and over. I, and there are times when, when I would like to be able to say to people without them being angry with me that there are times when I use some colourful adjectives <laughs> when my computer is not behaving. <laughs> but I wouldn't do that because you wouldn't like me for that. The fact is, being ourselves is only good to a degree. And yet, at the same time, one of the issues you and I face is the fact that if we are ourselves, then out there in the community, there are people who are saying, God, you're a Christian and you think like that? God, you're a Christian and you do that? Or you have people within your community who say, oh, come on. You're a Christian. You don't do that, surely. So we hide ourselves, our real selves. We don't reveal our real selves. And we've become very good at it. It's something that we do regularly. Back in, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the teachers of the law had become exceptionally good at it. 
They actually had a whole set of laws that surrounded God's law. So if God's law said you must not work on the Sabbath, they created hundreds of laws around that law that made it so difficult you couldn't possibly disobey God's law because God's law was just don't work on the Sabbath. They said, no, you can't write on the Sabbath. You can't tie a bow on the Sabbath. You can't walk beyond a certain distance on the Sabbath. You can't dig a hole on the Sabbath. You can't do this. You can't light a fire on the Sabbath. You know, a whole range of things to actually make it more and more difficult. And so they became very good at hiding who they really were behind this holy, pious exterior, which wasn't real. And when Jesus came along, man, read the Gospels. He hammers them, absolutely hops into them because he says, that's just not real. That's not real life. That's not the way it's meant to be. So when um, I got to get a license, I have to get a license. It's just whatever I'm doing is not... Thank you. What I'm getting down to is that I found as a pastor that I simply wasn't sure who I was anymore, who I was meant to be. I tried to be myself, but the more I did that, the more pushback I got. And, and so it was very hard. And that then reminded me years ago of this poem by Dietrich Bonhoff. Now, many of you have probably seen this. It is one of the... the, the the poems that meant the most to me. And if you knew Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Lutheran pastor in Germany during the Second World War. He was actually involved in an assassination attempt on Hitler. And he was arrested, put in Schlossenburg concentration camp. And three days before the American army liberated that camp, the Nazis hung him. He's... If you don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, <laughs> then maybe you, you need to learn about him because he's amazing writings. So this was the poem he wrote not long before he died. Who am I? They often tell me I stepped from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equally, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know of myself, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colours, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighbourliness, tossing in expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making 
faint and ready to say farewell to it all? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful poem in my view, but expresses so well what I have experienced most of my life. Who am I? Am I who I know I am? Or am I what other people see of me? Am I real? Am I fair dinkum and honest before God and before others? Well, as I said at the start, can't be entirely honest with anybody. That's just the nature of human beings. We simply cannot do that. But at the same time, we need to be more of who we are, of who I am, and not try and hide that or suppress it or simply be ashamed of it. Sometimes we, you know, Luther used to say, sin boldly, that idea of admit you're a sinner, be willing to admit it, be willing to admit your sin, be willing to say I was wrong, be willing to say I did the wrong thing, be willing to say I'm sorry. But be real. Be who I am as much as I can be rather than a hypocrite. Coming to church, we always dress ourselves up rather nicely yes, so that we, we don't get around in our tracky dackies or slippers or whatever we might do at home. But the thing is, we can't hide who we are if we want to be me, real. So the text today, this text, just from verse 19, um, Paul says this, Read it with me because it's really, it'll mean more to you, I think. For when we tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For if keeping the law would make us right with God, then there would be no need for Christ to die. Some ways I feel bad about continuing because that says it. It's very clear and it's very straightforward. But we will and... The thing is, from a perspective, we know that there is law and gospel. There is, we are sinners and we are saints. We are, we are damned by our sin and yet we are saved by God's grace through Jesus. But how we see things really does make the difference and we don't always see it clearly at the same time. There are times when we only see the law, the law that judges us, the law that condemns us or the law that other people put up before us and say, you're not good enough, you're not enough, you're not acceptable. And 
If that's what we focus on, then we can only be unhappy, we can despair, or else we just give up and say, what's the point? And just forget about God and get on with our lives. On the other hand, if we, I think it's working. If it's not, you're still doing it, so I'm pressing away here, but Sharon's doing all the work. Come on. And I thought I had some power. Right. But if we focus on the grace of God and on the gospel, which is wonderful, there is also how you can go to the other extreme and say, as the Apostle Paul often spoke about, that we can be so wrapped up in God's grace that we can say, well, if God's grace is so wonderful, then I'll sin because by sinning, I'll allow God's grace to be even greater still. Won't that be wonderful? And Paul says, You've got to be kidding. That's not right. Of course, sin condemns us and grace forgives us. But it's not a matter of, of simply saying, well, if I'm God's child, then I can do what I like. But neither does it mean because I'm God's child, I can fully obey the law because that's not possible either. Thank you, Sharon. Tim Keller, who died last month, one of my great favourite authors, Tim Keller, marvellous man. If you didn't know him, don't know about him, then um, I offer you my sympathy. Great man, wonderful books and uh, some just brilliant. So he said, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. It's how we see things. It's our perspective. If our perspective is on what we should do, how we should do it, how I come across to people, then we're focused on the law. If we keep our focus on Jesus and on the grace of God that he gives us, then we understand that we are precious, we are loved, we are holy. We are God's precious possession. We are his children. We are heirs of eternal life. That, all that, comes when we keep our eyes on Jesus. Thank you, Sharon. So, just again, that one verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the next one, Sharon, thank you. I, in Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church people. He's talking primarily to the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. All of them said, we have fully obeyed the law. We have always kept the Sabbath. We have always honoured parents. We have all, we've never killed. We've never committed adultery. We've never stolen. We've never done any of those things. And so what does Jesus say? If you, you've heard it said of old, you shall not kill. But if you call someone a fool, that is, not just 
you're an absolute idiot. That's a different thing entirely. But to call someone a fool is to say, you're a waste of space. Your breathing air is a waste of air. That's calling someone a fool. And Jesus said, that's murder. Jesus said, you've heard it said of old, you shall not commit adultery. Well, let me tell you, if you even think about it in your mind, you've committed the sin. They said, we fast twice a week. They stood outside on the streets and they prayed. When they fasted, they wiped flour over their face. So everyone said, look how wan and pale they are from fasting. And Jesus said, when you fast, go inside and shut the door so no one can see you. When you pray, go into your closet and shut the door so no one can see you because your Father in heaven sees you. When you do something, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you give, you just give a little of your extra. You just give your coat. Well, give your shirt as well. You say, I forgive. Well, you forgive a little by saying you can hit me on the right cheek, but forgiveness is when you say, have a go at the left one as well. Jesus said, you say it's all right if the soldiers grab someone off the side of the street and say, you carry my backpack for one kilometre. And Jesus said, well, that's easy. Say to him, I'll carry it too. In all of this, Jesus was saying, don't put on a show. Don't try to be what you're not. But try to be who you really are in Christ. Be the person you are as real as you can be, not by saying, look how pious and beautiful and holy I am, but look at me, sinful, human, doubting, fearful, scared, anxious, worried, and I follow Jesus Christ. And I believe we'll have a lot more people being uh, encouraged by that than they do by those who simply look to be too good to be too close to. Why do you think people say, I wouldn't walk through those doors? The whole building would fall down on me. Only because they think we're better in here than they are out there. My next door neighbour says that when they don't believe in anything, they reckon. And, and so they know who I am, but so they always say, oh, I better not get too close to you. You want to slap them, don't you? you know, just, that's just not what it's about. It's not what it's about. The next one, please. The fact is that we come back, and I love it. Did, we do, did you know I was using this? You didn't know when you picked that song. You did know. Thank you. Because, because that song is you know, one of my all-time favourites. I am who you say I am. I'm not who you say I am. Not who you say I am. I am who God says I am. I'm not who I say I am. I am who God says I am. 
when I look at me and I so often see the law, I am such a sinner, I am so pathetic, I am so weak, my faith is mustard seed size and I am so disappointed with myself and so fed up with myself that I can be so weak and my faith can be so pathetic and yet I have to come back to this one point, God, I am who you say I am, I am your child. I am your child. And so, please, what Paul says in Ephesians, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. It's purely a gift. So, thank you. Just the next ones. I am your precious, dearly loved child. I am a disciple of Jesus. This is who I, he says I am. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. And... It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And please. So the whole point is for us to show not that we are so fantastically wonderful and perfect and obedient and faithful and all those things to other people, but it is to show that the power of God, the love of God, the grace of God and all that we hope for and believe in is in jars of clay. And we're the, we're the clay and the potter can do what he likes with us and make us pretty or not. Functional, it depends on him. But we're the clay, he is the potter. And we have this incredible gift in jars of clay. Thank you. So I'd mentioned over Easter about the Westminster Catechism of um, that the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I, I came back to this because how can you enjoy God if you and I are constantly feeling at war with him? How can we enjoy God if I don't accept me for who I am through his eyes? If I don't see him through my perspective, how can I possibly live this life with any kind of confidence or joy or peace? It's just not possible. But so I look at myself. When I look in the mirror, it's not a pretty sight. But, and, and it's very hard. It's, this isn't an easy thing to do. But to always, when I see myself, when I think of myself, when I'm bothered with my sin, my lack of belief, my lack of obedience, my lack of commitment and passion for the gospel, I come back always to this simple fact that God loves me. And when I know this, then I know I can not only glorify God, but I can enjoy him forever. So, thank you, Sharon. When, first one, when I tell myself I'm no good, when I tell myself that I have blown it again and, Lord, if I was you, I wouldn't forgive me. If I was you, I'd zap me right now and turn me to toast. It's, in fact, if I was you, I'd give up on me because it's a lost cause. And... Whenever I think like that, I remember Christ lives in me. When I have other people who constantly tell me, 
that I'm not good enough. When other people tell me that what I say or do or my attitude is not the best and not all that it should be and that it ought to be more of this and more of that and less of this, then I say to myself, Christ in me. Christ lives in me. When the world pushes against us and says you're, you're a mob of idiots and believing in a load of rubbish, when the world is throwing out all its morals and, and all the ethics and, and we tend to be declining as a, as a, in, in numbers as Christians in the Western world, don't worry, we're growing like crazy in the way, down in, in Africa and South America and in Asia. Church is going gangbusters. But because we're too stupid here in the West and, and we think we've got it all together and we know everything and we don't need God. So another thing. But when people are telling us that we are not following the right person, the right faith, the right belief, when they're telling us that we're not good enough or, in fact, that we are not enough, then we can say together, Christ lives in me. I'll say that again. Christ lives in me. Amen. All right, so um, 